Today on the Sunshine Economy, business and politics collide with Disney and Governor DeSantis. The way that Governor DeSantis and the legislature use their official powers to seek retribution against a private company, I believe, reflect a very dangerous inflection point in Florida politics. If um, all the tension generated by Walker capitalism is uh, to strip all businesses of all their privileges, I think it's a good outcome. <laughs> I'm Tom Hudson. For decades, Disney and Florida have had a happy relationship, but that enchantment has tarnished under public pressure and political ambitions. Disney should not run its own government. What we want Disney to be is a place where people can come together. Business, politics, Disney and Governor DeSantis next on The Sunshine Economy. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. It was both a slow burn and a rapid firestorm that engulfed the Magic Kingdom in Florida politics and the national culture war. Disney, an entertainment giant that's almost a century old and built on an animated household rodent, has been drawn in to what Governor Ron DeSantis calls a woke corporation. It's one of Florida's largest employers with about 60,000 workers, Walt Disney World is the number one tourist attraction in the state, a huge contributor to bringing more than 100 million visitors to Florida and making the Orlando International Airport the busiest in the state. The fortunes of Florida, its hospitality-dominated economy and state government revenues driven by sales taxes, stepped through Disney World like a parade on Main Street. For decades, it was conventional wisdom to think what's good for Disney was good for Florida and vice versa. But that enchantment has tarnished under public pressure and political ambitions. Disney should not run its own government. What we want Disney to be is a place where people can come together. Governor Ron DeSantis and Disney CEO Bob Chapek have been battling over policy and power, with the state and the company colliding in a rare public display of big business and hard-knuckle politics. It has left Disney on the clock to figure out how it could continue running its theme parks in central Florida before it loses special regulatory treatment it's enjoyed since before the first shovel of central Florida swampland was overturned. The company's independent special taxing and government status expires June 1st, 2023, triggering a cascade of questions about who's on the hook for hundreds of millions of dollars of IOUs, paying for public services for Disney World, and when corporate speech crashes into conflict over culture. We'll explore this clash between Governor DeSantis and Disney this hour. But first, how did we get here? Okay, we don't need to start at the beginning for Disney. This was Steamboat Willie featuring Mickey Mouse in 1928, one of the first animated films with synchronized sound. But we should start before a shovel went into the central Florida swampland. In 1967, the Florida legislature okayed a plan from Disney to create an independent special district named for an actual creek that runs through the property, Reedy Creek. This was so important to Disney that on May 12, 1967, 55 years ago this week, when Governor Claude Kirk signed the legislation into law at the governor's mansion in Tallahassee, Roy Disney, Walt's older brother, was there. 
I want to express our sincere thanks to the people of Florida, to your legislature, and to your governor for providing us with this legal foundation upon which to bring this project into reality. Governor Kirk broke the Democrats' dominance at the governor's mansion in Florida. He was the first Republican elected governor here since Reconstruction a century earlier, 55 years ago when he signed that bill creating Disney's special taxing and regulatory district. Kirk remembered Walt Disney's version for the park before he had died a year earlier. In Disney World, his spirit and his achievements will live on forever to delight new generations of Americans who will come to Florida to see the marvelous things you will create here. This audio comes from Miami-Dade College's Wolfson Archives. Back then, there was no Walt Disney World. There was only Project Florida. Four years and a half billion dollars later, in 1971, Disney World and the surrounding grounds and services were built for the equivalent of $4 billion today. The park made it onto the cover of Disney's annual corporate report that year. The monorail, campgrounds, golf courses, four hotels, Cinderella's Castle, it was all there. And Disney celebrated with a television special airing on NBC. Hello, everyone. I'm Julie Andrews, and I'm here at the opening of the Walt Disney World in Florida. An early study estimated Disney's economic impact on Florida in its first 10 years would be $6.6 billion, most of it coming from new jobs and new tourists. By the way, just to see how times have changed, that report figured tourists would spend 12 days vacationing in Florida and spend about $17 a day. The authors of the study wrote, quote, No close precedent exists for projecting the impact of a development such as Disney World on the volume of tourism in Florida. In fact, it assumed 7 million people would visit the park in its 10th year of operations. In 1982, its 11th year, over 12.5 million people visited the Magic Kingdom. Walt Disney has since grown into 47 square miles, four theme parks, two water parks, hotels, restaurants, shopping, the engine fueling a $75 billion economic impact, generating billions of dollars in state tax revenue, and a juggernaut of marketing Florida to a global audience. The growth of tourists visiting Florida in the more than 50 years of Disney has outpaced the growth of people moving to Florida. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Still to come, after more than a half century of a close and beneficial relationship between the state government and Disney, how things went sour this spring and fast. While we've been strong supporters of the community for decades, I know that many are upset that we did not speak out against the bill. This state is governed by the interests of the people of the state of Florida. It is not based on the demands of California corporate executives. I'm Tom Hudson. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. Disney is more important to Florida than Florida orange juice. Both are multi-billion dollar industries tied to tens of thousands of jobs, and both export the Florida brand around the world. But Disney has a far greater economic impact and marketing reach, sending the Sunshine State across the globe. 
yet it's Disney that's in a battle with Governor Ron DeSantis over power, policy, and politics. So how did the Magic Kingdom fall out of favor after decades of self-governance and influence in Florida? 1557. That was the Florida legislature's number to a bill titled Parental Rights in Education. Opponents call it the Don't Say Gay Bill. Governor DeSantis and supporters call that a blatant falsehood, as the governor's press secretary wrote to WLRN in an email. The bill does not include the word gay. It bans classroom teachers from discussing sexual orientation or gender identity in grades kindergarten through third grade. It also bans teachers from discussing sexual orientation or gender identity, quote, in any manner that is not age appropriate in any grade. This is the clause that critics have focused on, along with other provisions, such as requiring schools to tell parents if their child receives mental, emotional, or physical health services, unless there's a risk of abuse, and gives parents the ability to sue schools if they believe a school violated the law. Well, here's how 1557 led Disney to be the target of Governor DeSantis. The bill was filed in the legislature with little fanfare on January 11th, the first day lawmakers met in Tallahassee for their regular session. The joint session will please come to order as is custom. And Governor Ron DeSantis set the tone for the lawmaking to come. Together, we have made Florida the freest state in these United States. The bill started on its way through the legislative process, but before the Senate version got its first committee hearing in early February, Disney lobbyists were talking with Republican Senator Joe Gruters, according to the Miami Herald. Gruters is the chair of the Senate Education Committee. He's also chairman of the Republican Party of Florida. Chair Gruters. Yes, and by your vote, Senate Bill 1834 is reported favorably. And with that, the Senate version passed its first hurdle on February 8th. That same day, President Biden released a statement criticizing the legislation, saying his administration will fight for protections and safety of kids. This is White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who was asked about it the same day, bringing more national attention to the Florida legislation. Today, conservative politicians in Florida rejected those basic values by advancing legislation that is designed to target and attack the kids who need the support support the most, uh, kids from uh, the LGBTQI plus uh, community. The Florida House version was making its way through the chamber at the same time. On February 17th, it was in the House Judiciary Committee. 13 yeas, 7 nays, Madam Chair. By your vote, the bill will be reported favorably. And with that, the bill was on its way to the full Florida House. One week later, Disney would be pulled into the public debate by a former CEO. Robert Iger was the Disney boss for 15 years. On February 24th, he quote-tweeted President Biden's criticism of the Florida bill, adding this, If passed, the bill will put vulnerable young LGBTQ people in jeopardy. That same day, the Florida House approved Bill 1557. The question now recurs on final passage of CS for CS for House Bill 1557. The clerk will unlock the machine and members will proceed to vote. Have all members voted? Have all members voted? Clerk will lock the machine, announce a vote. 69 yeas, 47 nays, Mr. Speaker. Show the bill passes. The legislation was picking up momentum in Tallahassee, and so was the criticism of Disney by this time, a big voice in the state capitol. The day the House okayed the legislation, the Orlando Sentinel reported that Disney made campaign contributions to every one of the bill's sponsors and co-sponsors. That increased the public pressure on Disney to say something, especially given the company's previous support of the LGBTQ community, such as gay days at its theme parks and offering partner benefits to LGBTQ employees. 
Having passed out of the House, the bill continued making its way through the Senate side of the Capitol. And on February 28th, it was in front of the Senate Appropriations Committee, where Tampa Republican Senator Jeff Brandis offered an amendment. We'll go to the amendments then. Okay, members, we'll move to the amendment process. First Amendment, which was timely filed by Senator Brandis, Amendment Barcode. His proposed change would replace the phrases sexual orientation and gender identity with the phrases human sexuality and sexual activity. This is how he described his amendment. If the intent of this bill isn't to marginalize anyone, let's make sure we aren't by passing this amendment. His effort failed. The original language stayed and the Senate committee okayed it. By your vote, the bill will be reported favorably. Things then quieted down in the Capitol and publicly, but they didn't stay quiet for long. On March 6th, the great-niece of Walt Disney tweeted a thread of 14 messages that went after Disney's political contributions to Florida legislators behind the bill. One tweet read, quote, In Florida, being pro-business means to let corporations regularly run roughshod over people, over the environment, over everything. This has been true since Disney World opened. End quote. Her final message said, I'm deeply angered by Disney thinking it can look the other way for this hateful don't-say-gay bill. Now, just a day later, Disney employees received a memo from CEO Bob Chapek about why the company had remained silent on the bill. Chapek described the company's support of LGBTQ plus employees as unequivocal. As to why the company hadn't issued a statement about the Florida bill, Chapek essentially told employees, stay tuned. The secretary will unlock the board and senators will proceed to vote. Two days later, on March 8th, the Florida Senate held its final vote on the bill. Despite some behind-the-scenes discussions, Disney had not made a public statement about it. 22 yeas, 17 nays, Mr. President. So the bill passes. All the Senate Democrats voted against it, and two Republican senators joined them, Senator Jeff Brandis of Tampa and Senator Jennifer Bradley. Brandis is termed out of office, but remember Bradley's no vote. Bill 1557, the Parental Rights and Education Bill, was now on its way to Governor Ron DeSantis' desk. Both he and Disney had been quiet about the bill up to this point. But that changed the next day during Disney's annual shareholder meeting. While we've been strong supporters of the community for decades, I know that many are upset that we did not speak out against the bill. This is Disney CEO Bob Chapek addressing shareholders that day. Now, we were opposed to the bill from the outset, but we chose not to take a public position on it because we thought we could be more effective working behind the scenes, engaging directly with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. This was the first public declaration that Disney had been lobbying privately and its first explanation for why it wasn't more vocal publicly. And we were hopeful that our long-standing relationships with those lawmakers would enable us to achieve a better outcome. But despite weeks of effort, we were ultimately unsuccessful. The Disney CEO said he called Governor DeSantis that morning to tell the governor Disney did not like the bill. The two agreed to meet, and Chapek said Disney was reassessing its political giving in Florida. Criticism kept building against Disney over the next couple of days. Employees of Walt Disney World organized a small walkout, and Disney's animation unit demanded the company stop political donations to politicians who voted in favor of the Florida bill. On March 10th, two days after the Disney shareholder meeting, Governor DeSantis squared up. The chance that I am going to back down from my commitment to students and back down from my commitment to parents' rights simply because of fraudulent media narratives or pressure from woke corporations 
the chances of that are zero. This was at a reception in Boca Raton. The video was shared with a Fox News digital reporter who tweeted it. The words and actions kept escalating on both sides. The next day, Disney announced it was suspending all campaign contributions in Florida. Two years ago, that amounted to almost $5 million. And the Disney CEO sent another memo to employees. This time, he apologized for the company's response. The following Monday, March 28th, Governor DeSantis was at a charter school north of Tampa. He made his way from the lectern to a desk surrounded by young children and the bill's two primary sponsors. He had a handful of blue Sharpie markers. He uncapped them, using them to sign and date the legislation, making it law effective in July. Less than an hour later, Disney released a statement on its corporate Twitter handle. Disney was stepping up its campaign against the soon-to-be law, saying, quote, Our goal as a company is for this law to be repealed by the legislature or struck down in the courts, end quote. It was the company's most explicit opposition yet and put it directly and very publicly in conflict with Governor DeSantis. For Disney to come out and put a statement and say that the bill should have never passed and that they are going to actively work to repeal it, I think one was fundamentally dishonest, but two, I think that crossed the line. This is the governor the next day at the state capitol. This state is governed by the interests of the people of the state of Florida. It is not based on the demands of California corporate executives. By this time, Florida lawmakers had gone home. The regular legislative session ended two weeks earlier, but they were going to come back because in addition to talking hard against Disney, Governor DeSantis this same day announced plans to call legislators back. Their purpose, though, was to vote on new congressional district boundaries. Disney was not on the agenda. The next day, however, Representative Spencer Roach, who's a Republican from North Fort Myers, tweeted that Republicans were talking about repealing Disney's Reedy Creek Special Independent District. Remember, that's the district that was set up in 1967 by lawmakers allowing Disney to act as its own government. On April 19th, just as lawmakers were back at the Capitol for the special legislative session, the governor added Disney to its agenda with legislation to get rid of special independent districts like Disney's Reedy Creek. Republican Randy Fine sponsored the House version. Their behavior um, has been atrocious, frankly, as a guest in the state of Florida. And so when you kick the hornet's nest, sometimes issues pop up, and this is one. Democrat Representative Geraldine Thompson's district includes most of Disney, and she called the bill revenge. Because they dared to speak up against the don't say gay bill, this is retribution. The governor is a bully, and this is what this is all about. By the way, the sponsor of the Senate version to get rid of special independent districts was Senator Jennifer Bradley, one of the two GOP senators who voted against the original parental rights and education bill. The session moved fast. Disney's Reedy Creek Improvement District released a statement the following day reassuring bondholders that they will continue to be paid. Two days later, April 22nd, the legislation had passed and Governor DeSantis was signing it. <laughs> All right, today is the 22nd, I think? Yes. The law does not cancel the districts right away. That won't happen until June of 2023 if there's no deal to reimagine them. That gives Disney and Governor DeSantis time to make up and figure out how to weave back together politics and business. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Check out our podcast by searching Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app.
Leave a review and hit subscribe. Still to come, Disney's tight spot. I think Disney was caught between a rock and a hard place in this regard because they couldn't walk away from the fight with Governor DeSantis. They spoke up in defense of wokeness in general, and maybe you'd say gay rights in particular. This is the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting WLRN. We're talking about business and politics between Disney and Governor Ron DeSantis. The governor led the charge to eliminate Disney's independent special district status after the company said Florida's new parental rights and education law, the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill, needs to be repealed or thrown out in court. It was 55 years ago this month when construction began on what would become Disney's second theme park to join Disneyland in California. Yet Walt Disney World almost didn't come to Florida at all. Disneyland was very successful from the beginning, and there were a number of cities and states that petitioned the Disney company to do business with them to build another theme park in that city or that state. This is Richard Fogelsong. He's a professor emeritus of political science at Rollins College. He wrote the book Married to the Mouse, Walt Disney World and Orlando. In the 1960s, the competition for Disney's new theme park was fierce, and the company was just about ready to make its choice. And the night before they were to sign the papers, they had a cocktail party and and reception. But at that party, one of the business leaders in the community was overheard saying, I don't know, but I think someone would be a fool to build an amusement park and not serve beer or liquor. Walt Disney heard it and was not happy about it. He walked out, taking all the Disney executives with him, and he ordered the company plane to be ready the next morning to go back to California. Walt Disney said, no, it's all over. We're not coming. And that's how St. Louis lost Walt Disney World. Fogelsong calls that the broken engagement before Disney and Florida would enter into an economic marriage that today is on the rocks after the state canceled independent special districts beginning June 2023, targeting Disney's Reedy Creek Improvement District, which grants the company special self-governance. You can't have a divorce. It would be too costly. This uh, broken relationship It ain't over yet. It's not clear what's going to happen 13 months from now when the timetable uh, sets for figuring out how to deal with the the relationship as it is now. From a practical sense, Richard, what is the effect of dissolving independent special districts? I've come to the view that Disney could possibly do without the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Uh, they get by without a private government at Anaheim in California. It was especially important having those powers when they built the park. Maybe it's less important now when it's just a question of adding to the park. Why were those special powers necessary in 1969 when they were granted? They were deemed to be necessary because of the difficulties the Disney company had in Anaheim, California, Disneyland. The company did not like having to depend upon the city of Anaheim for public services, police, water, fire, etc. And they did not like being regulated by the relatively small city of Anaheim. Disney, its influence 
and its economic impact has grown exponentially in Central Florida since Disney World opened in the early 1970s. The company itself is an entertainment conglomerate. Is Disney too large of a corporation for Florida to really make a business impact on it in, in a negative way? Well, I don't think that Disney World is too large. You need to consider the benefits of it, the uh, advertising that Disney does for itself. Uh, advertises Florida as well. Everyone knows where Disney World is. So when they're advertising Disney World with um, millions of dollars a year, they're also advertising the state of Florida. They, they, they put Florida on the map. Orlando has a very high name recognition compared with other American cities throughout Europe and, and beyond. And, and that benefits Florida as well. Maybe Florida's too small uh, to be able to deal with an economic giant like Disney rather than saying Disney's too big. I know it's the same thing, sort of, but maybe not quite. How do you think the friction between Disney and Florida impacts the Disney experience in Florida, both the corporate experience, but also more important for Disney and more important for Florida, the consumer experience with Disney? The Disney company is regarded as one of the most popular companies in the world, and they have a very popular brand as well. I'm curious what this uh, anti-wokeness debate will do to that Disney brand. Uh, so there are clearly some people, uh, quite a few people, I guess, who agree with the governor on this issue. Will they not come to the park? Somehow I think it's, gonna, it's not going to dent the bottom line of the Disney company, but it may hurt their brand around the edges. People may go there and grumble about Disney because they're perceived to be woke or, or, or too woke. But on the same token, I don't see how Disney could have avoided this fight. Well, you say it, gay rights, I think is now integral to the Disney brand. I think Disney was caught between a rock and a hard place in this regard because they couldn't walk away from the fight with Governor DeSantis, in my opinion, else it would damage their brand. They spoke up in defense of wokeness in general, and maybe you'd say gay rights in particular. And that has become consistent with their brand. One effect of this imbroglio between the governor and the Disney company might be a watershed moment on the part of major corporations who may do likewise. Uh, they're rumblings that other governors in other states of like mind with Governor DeSantis um, may wish to take on corporations that disagree with that governor and that state on this new issue of wokeness that's uh, become a key uh, debate in the culture war. And so we, we may see companies announce that they're not coming to that state uh, that they're backing out of that state, that they're going to scale down operations, and whether they do that or not, who speak out against their governors. We've seen some of that in the past in regards to, say, for instance, a professional sports league all-star game pulling out of a location because of a disagreement with some kind of public policy from the governor of that state. The Disney situation strikes me, Richard, as much different because it's not a one-off. It is embedded in the culture. It is embedded in the economy. It is hard infrastructure. 
at this point, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars have been invested and frankly, probably rest on the ability of Disney and the state of Florida to have a cooperative relationship, particularly when it comes to hospitality and tourism. Correct. Correct. Uh, I have referenced the Reedy Creek Improvement District as a prenuptial agreement. In the normal course of events, uh, a big business comes to town and and it has a lot of leverage vis-a-vis the state in the beginning. But once they're dug in, they they lose that leverage. And that's what prenuptial agreements are, you know, between between people. And this Reedy Creek Improvement District was a way to preserve into the future the bargaining advantages that they had when they came. Now, it wasn't perfect, but it worked well for them for 55 years. Now we'll see whether it lasts or not. That's Richard Fogelsong. He wrote the book Married to the Mouse, Walt Disney World in Orlando. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Still to come, when corporate speech and political power clash. And I do believe it's public corruption, probably not in a true legal sense of the word, that uh, the prosecutors could bring a case. But I do think that's the biggest danger. I'm Tom Hudson. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Today we're talking about when corporate speech clashes into conflict over culture. After Disney spoke out against the parental rights and education law in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis went after the company's special legal arrangement with the state that dates back to 1967, allowing Disney to essentially be self-governed in Central Florida. David Jolly knows the halls of power very well. He was a lobbyist on Capitol Hill before getting elected to Congress as a Republican representing the St. Petersburg area for three years. After losing re-election, he then left the Republican Party four years ago and is now an independent. Regardless of the point of view you bring to this, whether you agree with Disney or, or agree with the governor, it's interesting to look at this through two different angles. One is, what is the ideology involved and is it even an ideology? Right. I mean, you can argue that what Trump introduced to the party and what Ron DeSantis governs on is populism. That doesn't actually have an ideological underpinning. That has a polling underpinning, if you will. Right. It is reactive to the passions of the moment. It is not a traditional left right axis through which you examine this. But the second lens, I think you do have to look through this and and probably the most important for what this means in the next 10 years of Florida government is Ron DeSantis and the Republican legislature reacted to the public speech of a corporation. And and you could argue that's a very dangerous space to be in, that they took official action on behalf of the state because a large corporation disagreed with legislation they had enacted. That really raises some hard questions, not on the left-right spectrum, but almost the top-down spectrum of what values do we want to see in the government that represents us. The governor's office says that doing away with these independent special districts is merely leveling the playing field. It's garbage. You don't buy that. Complete garbage. You find it to be what? The real import here is the reactive nature of the legislature. If our Republican legislators and the governor said, on conservative principles, we believe that there should not be special taxing districts, fine, that's a public policy proposal that might actually have a majority of public opinion on its side in Florida. That is not what happened here. And and this was because 
Disney spoke out, this was reactionary. I, I believe in many ways it represents a, a form of public corruption using the powers of the state to punish a corporate actor. Explain that a little bit more, David. That could be taken as a pretty serious charge. And I mean it. And as an attorney, I would say if the parties were situated differently and that if it was an individual, uh, not a corporation, or if, the, if there was a pure tie to campaign finance laws, government actors cannot take public retribution against a private actor. And so what happened here, as, as we've discussed, Disney spoke out with criticism. But Tom, Disney also said, we're going to pause our political giving. We're going to stop handing out checks to legislators and to the governor. And what happened when they did that? The governor said, I'm going to use my power to come down on you and to situate your tax status in the state of Florida differently because you spoke out against me and because you said you were going to stop giving me campaign money. That's graft. And I do believe it's public corruption, probably not in a true legal sense of the word that the prosecutors could bring a case. But I do think that's the biggest danger. We can have the cultural conversation about the underpinnings of don't say gay. And I will tell you, I think it's wrong what Tallahassee did on substance. But regardless of the substance involved, the way that Governor DeSantis and the legislature use their official powers to seek retribution against a private company, I believe reflect a very dangerous inflection point in Florida politics. How does this DeSantis Disney story impact corporate political power generally in Florida? I think it has a chilling effect on large corporations that take a public position. And here's the crazy irony, a bit of a hypocrisy, if you will. It's the Republicans who actually for decades have, have maintained that corporations are people. For purposes of campaign finance law, their argument has been corporations are just people. Mitt Romney famously said that when he was running for president. That's right. And so when it comes to corporations giving us unlimited money, that's because corporations are just people. But the moment a corporation, as a collective of people, expresses a political opinion, the government in Tallahassee responds and shuts them down. I do think that has a chilling effect. I'd like to hear your thoughts about how this may impact other interests that Disney has in regards to state regulations and state policy. I'm thinking specifically, David, of the issue of gambling in Florida. Disney has been a vocal and deep-pocketed opponent to gambling for a good number of years, including uh, 2018 when it essentially funded the constitutional amendment that passed and now requires any okay of a gambling expansion in Florida to get by voters, not just legislators. So how could this gambling issue perhaps come into play here if there is not a cooling off between Disney and Governor DeSantis? Disney has lost a lot of power in Tallahassee right now. And the question is, how long does that last? But if you look at it through through marriage terms, uh, Disney and Florida's GOP are not yet divorced, but they're certainly separated. And as an incoming class of Republican legislators always have to outdo the next because of Florida's uh, system of term limits, if you will, they're each trying to get the next pound of flesh. So making up between Disney and the Florida GOP will take some time. Also important, Tom, is to recognize the uniqueness of Ron DeSantis as a governor. He came in with very few allies, if any, does not care to make allies. His bargain is with Republican voters, not with Republican industry. And that has been one of the premises of his governing. He doesn't need Disney and he doesn't need the legislature. How does this then potentially reshape that relationship between the Florida Republican Party, of which Ron DeSantis is the leader, and business in Florida? 
It is significant. I would say one of the significant impacts is it will be hard to measure the number of businesses that that hesitate about coming to Florida. Right. Florida is a fairly business friendly state and and we talk about attracting business, but this has a bit of a chilling effect. There will be pressure on some companies not to come to Florida as a result of one, the underlying don't say gay bill, but also the government's treatment of Disney. Uh, my final question, David, uh, gets to what, what I've referred to as the ultimate Disney consumer, which is not a voter in Florida, which is not a Disney employee. Uh, it is not even an adult, right? When we're talking about the ultimate Disney World consumer. How do you think that voice plays into this situation? I think this is a bit of a sad comment. I thank you for this question, because I think it's it's a very important conversation. I think it's a sad commentary on how reflexive our politics are today. And it overlooks the important cultural impact of both our politics and our industry. If you look at some of the greatest social justices that have been worked through among our country, there's often a seed that was planted either in the arts or in entertainment, wherever that might be. Look at the introduction of the LGBT community to American culture. There were breakthrough TV moments. It didn't happen in in the pulpits of our churches. It didn't happen in the halls of our legislature. It happened because we found this this way culturally to begin to let some walls down and to begin to look at our culture in a way we hadn't looked at it in the past. And so the one sympathy I perhaps have uh, for Disney or or the support I give them, I suppose the most important support I would give them is that I think they have a role in bringing kids and families along into the culture that we can be, not the culture that we used to be. And I think that's something that's overlooked and hangs in the balance in the current debate. That's former Florida Republican Representative David Jolly. He's now a political independent. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Still to come, the balance of power between business and politics. If um, all the tension generated by woke capitalism is uh, to strip all businesses of all their privileges, I think it's a good outcome. (laughs) This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. The power play between Disney and Governor DeSantis in Florida has laid bare the usually diplomatic and cozy relationship between business and politics. Luigi Zingales has examined this connection for years as a professor of finance at the University of Chicago. He's the author of Capitalism for the People and co-host of the podcast Capital Isn't. How does corporate influence and government relations work today? In general, they work uh, a bit too closely. Uh, in a sense, they scratch uh, each other back uh, all too often. And so uh, why do you think that this is is a little too close for comfort? Uh, because uh, the question is whether when they give something to the company, they are giving something that is good for society at large or simply is a sweet deal for the company. Uh in uh, in many situations, uh, you wonder whether the benefit they receive are excessive from uh, a, a societal point of view. Corporations traditionally have tried to portray themselves to customers and certainly to employees as apolitical. How true has that actually been, do you think? 
I think that by and large, they are after money, not uh, uh, after a particular political point of view. So it's very famous uh, a statement by a former uh, CEO of Disney. They say Mickey Mouse is neither a Republican nor Democrat, uh, because, of course, they want both customers in uh, Disneyland and Disney World. And so I think that uh, they don't look at who provides support. But speaking of uh, Disney, for example, Disney has been incredibly successful at extending the copyright of Mickey Mouse every time the copyright is about to expire. And not just in the United States, in the entire world. The power of Disney in this dimension is gigantic. And what we don't fully appreciate is extending the copyright on uh, work of dead authors is a completely wasteful activity because they're not going to produce more because they're dead for Christ's sake. So it's simply a rant that is enjoyed by basically Disney shareholders at the expense of the little kid that is paying an extra buck for every image of Mickey Mouse uh, as on the shirt or on the balloon or whatever. In regards to Disney, to return to that quote from one of the company's former top lobbyists in Washington back in the 1990s, that Mickey Mouse is neither a Republican or a Democrat. Has that changed with this episode here in Florida? So I think that what we are observing, and this is not just Disney, but a lot of large corporations, we're observing that uh, the CEOs tend to be at the mercy of uh, some uh, vocal people who are very aggressive. And I think that uh, social media has given even more power to this group because uh, if you have a very active uh, group on social media that tries to aim at you, can do a lot of uh, damage to the CEO more than to the company. CEOs are really trying to pacify these groups uh, rather than trying to act uh, necessarily in the interest of shareholders or in the interest of society at large. We can discuss what they should do, but the squeaky wheel gets the grease and uh, the squeakiest of the wheel gets all the grease. So with that in mind, can corporations continue to portray themselves as apolitical? Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, had a very great line in his response to say, you know, if uh, Disney is actively trying to repeal a law of uh, the legislature of Florida, I'm worried uh, because I think that uh, my principle is to try to judge a process not by the outcome, but by whether I like the process if deliver an outcome I didn't like. So fair elections are a good process. And even when the party I don't support wins, I still think it's a good process, right? And unfortunately, we live in such a partisan world that we tend to support a process based on the outcome. Regardless of where you support or not support the law uh, that was passed in Florida, I think that having a corporation that uh, put as an objective to subvert a law that is not specific to the business they do, but is a sort of a, a general statement about how people feel in, in, in that particular part of the country is dangerous because we don't want 
companies to be uh, so powerful. But haven't corporations and other special interests tried to navigate and influence policy before it gets to the law? Is that any different if you're doing it during the process as opposed to stating plainly after the fact, as Disney has here, to say it wants to actively work to repeal a piece of legislation that passed? Corporations have an alternative way to to choose, which is to exit, speak with their feet. Professor, Disney's not going to pick up Epcot Center and move it to Texas, though, right? <laughs> that, Come on. That's true, but they can start <laughs> making in bigger investments somewhere else. And I think that, uh, it, to me, it's completely uh, reasonable that uh, Disney will say to the governor of Florida or to the legislature of Florida, look, I have a lot of employees who feel very strongly about this topic and we're less likely to invest and we're less likely to expand in Florida if you pass that law. To me, that's uh, a business decision because uh, if indeed it costs them more to hire employees or it is more difficult to get employees to work there as a result of that, it is completely in their power and it's right that they say that to the Florida legislator. Different thing is to say, we are going to organize to repeal this law as they become a political movement. I think that uh, we have special separation between sort of business organization and political organization, and we don't want uh, one to integrate with the other. It is dangerous to have Disney say that. And uh, if tomorrow we have Google that decides uh, to become a political party, uh, imagine how much power they have already. Uh, Let me read a sentence to you. You'll recognize this, Professor. Quote, the interaction of concentrated corporate power and politics is a threat to the functioning of the free market economy and to the economic prosperity it can generate. You wrote that in 2017 in a research paper. It sounds like you feel that's gotten even more dangerous. Yeah, I think it is getting worse by the day. I was wondering, I didn't remember that I wrote exactly those words. I said, oh, that sounds right. Uh, so, I, <laughs> uh, so I'm very consistent. What I want to say is it's very dangerous to call the corporations into the political debate in every aspect of it, because that is going to give disproportionate power to organizations that, that have already an enormous amount of power. Why do you think the power of businesses to influence public policy has changed in recent decades? I think business has become more sophisticated because the power ideology has dropped. In the 70s, there was a Republican Party that was mostly pro-business and uh, a Democratic Party that literally was anti-business. That kept in check the Republican Party as well, because uh, there are only so many things you can do. Now, both parties proclaim to be pro-business. I always say you should be pro-market, not pro-business. There's a subtle distinction there. But but I think they're both pro-business. So all too often, they compete for donations. And uh, there is a race on who is more friendly. You make this distinction between business and market, is what has happened in Florida market forces at work, political forces at work? Is it business forces at work? 
paradoxically, it seems that uh, the tension between Disney and uh, Governor DeSantis is uh, leading Florida to cut down on some of the privileges that is given to Disney. And Disney has an incredible amount of, uh, of power and discretion in Florida. And I think some of it is understandable given the business they run. So I'm not saying that uh, you want zero discretion. It's funny when Governor DeSantis say, oh, now, now we're going to treat them normally. So he recognizes that uh, Disney had a number of favorites. So if um, all the tension generated by this uh, woke capitalism is uh, to uh, strip all businesses of all their privileges, I think it's a good outcome. <laughs> When, what about the process to get to that outcome, Professor? Uh, the process is not great, I have to say. The process is not great. Speaking with University of Chicago finance professor Luigi Zingales. Don't forget about our podcast. Search Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Click subscribe and leave a review. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Pilot Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.